You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. Hungry for adventure? Then travel to a la carte, the charming land below the floating city of heavenly delight, and join the young cook ramen for her daily dose of wacky hijinks in the new series Delicious. With a cast of eccentric, strong female characters, this wonderfully illustrated comedy comic will be out in July, but you can pre-order now by clicking the banner on the page for this podcast. Get the limited hardcover first edition, plus free stickers and an art print as a gift. Wow, stickers! A perfect gift for your child, or those of you who are forever young at heart. One of us strongly recommends this one. Sometimes I lay awake at night thinking about some of the deep, imponderable, metaphysical questions of our time. Things like, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? And the answer, of course, is yes, it does. I mean, that's not how sound works. I mean, come on, guys. That's a very selfish, human-centric view of the world. I mean, I guarantee you, the critters living in and around that tree, they heard it when it fell. But other questions come to mind, like... If you shot a concert film, but no one ever saw it, did that concert really happen? Well, yes, obviously it did. That's not how history or time works. I can't believe I have to explain this to people. But nevertheless, tonight we're dealing with a film that almost had that same fate. A film that was shot over 50 years ago, never edited, and was just sitting in a basement somewhere for decades. This isn't just somebody's home movie. This was a professional television crew who shot over the course of six weeks in 1969 during the same summer as Woodstock, a bare hundred miles away, in Morris Park, New York, in Harlem. They held the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival, and it was headlined by some incredible artist, uh, it's an amazing roster that they put together over six weeks, and yet it is an obscure event in history. We're talking about a new movie called The Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, the first feature film directed by Amir Thompson, better known as Questlove. And if you know who Questlove is, this guy has a very impressive resume, a DJ, a musician, an educator, instructor, band leader, producer, and now documentary filmmaker has been added to his very impressive resume. To help me discuss this fantastic new documentary is Frank. Hello, yeah, I crashed this party at the last minute. So happy to be here. And Chad. We're, we're glad to have you, Frank. Thanks Aww. for having me. Absolutely. We lost someone at the last minute. It happens sometimes. It's just life gets in the way. But I bumped into Frank yeah. at the screening the other night, and I thought, oh, I know who <laughs> else has seen this movie. I'm... And for some reason, he's not on the review. But we got him in yeah. here anyway. I'm so glad that, I saw that, that you went to the screening, because this is like, you got to see this on the big screen. I, I will say, watching on my laptop, I mean, I had good yeah. headphones on. It's like the music was amazing. But... Oh Yeah, it, I, I wish I would have uh, seen it on the big screen. Seek it out. So in 1969, they start the Harlem Cultural Festival. They get a lot of great bands. Over 30,000 people over the course of those six weeks attend. It's free to the public. And it is really speaking at that time to 
certain movements in the counterculture, in black culture, black power, black pride. I can't list all of the artists, but just to give you a few, uh, Stevie Wonder, David Ruffin of The Temptation, Gladys Knights and the Pips, comedian Moms Mabesley, The Staples Singers, Mahalia Jackson, Nina Simone, Sly and the Family Stone, The Chambers Brothers, Ray Barreto, Mongo Santa Maria, Hugh Masekela. This was originally billed as the Black Woodstock by the guy who filmed it. Uh, he thought that by capitalizing on the Woodstock name, somehow he would get people interested. But for whatever reason, uh, when they heard the word black, it turns out they weren't really keen on it. Next thing you know, Woodstock becomes this cultural phenomenon. It's playing in theaters everywhere. Everyone owns the soundtrack. That should have happened to what ultimately became Summer of Soul, but it didn't. Yeah, that was a real shame. But I I feel like this has been seen not at this level because uh, on on some on some scope it was it was seen somewhere because or shown to somebody because uh, I remember that clip of Nina Simone when she was doing that song. Uh, that last song she does where she's reading the lyrics impromptu. Uh, I saw that, that. That's on. That's part of the documentary. That that clip is in the documentary of her life that Netflix had a couple years ago. And so, and so when I, when I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh. So it's it trying. There's been little snippets, but man, I just this is still this is such a huge secret almost that that this was um, that this is yeah. buried. It's never been seen in context. Yeah. I mean, uh, the guy who shot it. He was smart enough to know he had something special on his hands, but he couldn't sell it. It's been sitting in his basement for 50 years. Probably the only time he ever showed it to people was when somebody asked. And he said, oh, yeah, I got a clip. You can license a clip. But they never cut a feature. And except for uh, one night on a local New York station, like at one in the morning where they showed some of this concert footage, other than that, it's never really been seen. And it's kind of incredible. Uh Questlove is definitely looking into that question of why did this not come out, but he's less concerned with the why and more concerned about what was lost in the process because there was a cultural impact that came about from this and it couldn't be shared to the masses. The people who knew, who were there, they had an amazing impact on their lives, but it kind of just stopped there. It's like no one else got to experience the way someone from Dubuque or Alaska or some place in Des Moines, you know, they could still see Woodstock even if they weren't there. Otherwise, people who might have been uh, inspired by this demonstration of Black Pride, they didn't get to see this in any form. So the way they were interviewing people, they had a screen off camera and they were showing them clips and they were showing real-time reactions of some people. Like some people were straight up like, I always knew I was there and that it was a thing, but now I have the proof because I can, you know, I see it now. That's crazy. Like, none of our history should be like that, especially living history. Like, that's not even that long ago. And to have a grown adult say, you know, I, I didn't know if it was real or not because it just disappeared. That was such a great comment. Yeah, when he says, you know, some memories you just think you conjure up or something to that effect, he said. And he was brought to tears by, I, you know, it was, so, it was so moving to watch him be brought back to that child, you know, to that childhood moment. And this grown man, probably in his like 40s or 50s now, and seeing 
just being so touched and moved at this um that this memory had never it lingered never quite left him um and yet he couldn't fully uh remember it i loved it it was the it was the most beautiful part of the documentary for me personally it's interesting because we keep calling it a documentary which it is but it's kind of a hybrid unlike say woodstock or altamont or any other great classic concert movie you can think of this isn't a concert movie. It's a documentary about a concert that was filmed but never got turned into a concert movie. And it kind of has both things working for it at once, sometimes I think to its detriment. Questlove, unsurprisingly, being the musical fanatic that he is, he tends to allow a lot of performances to linger. Most other filmmakers might have just used excerpts from performances, but usually when somebody starts performing, you're going to get the whole performance and then cut back to the talking heads or the narration or the archival interviews. While I enjoyed it, I kind of wish that we had got that concert film. I would have liked to have known what that 50-year-old concert film would have looked like. If this film does well enough, I could see pressure being like, hey, put the whole thing together. Yeah. And in my head as an editor, I would almost see them like spending the time to put all this together on the front end just so they know contextually what they have. So it could be sitting there. It was weird because when you watch something like this, you're expecting a concert. And the way that Questlove set it up is he, he did genres of music. Which, at first, I was weirded out about. I'm like, no, 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 just go through who played. But no, that doesn't make sense, because he had gospel uh, people. He had uh, blues. He had pop. Uh, he had... You know, hybrid of, like, Caribbean and uh, Latin America. He had the, and... the Fifth Dimension on there, which is the... He had crossover artists. He had a lot of crossover artists. I do know what you mean, though, because um, the music, all of them, all the artists are just so uh, masterful, and you do get pulled in so much that it does take you out a bit when you need to, uh, when you hear someone saying, oh, I remember playing that festival and, you know, this and that. Um, I think, yeah, it would have been interesting to see how just the original cut of what was filmed as, as a release. The first thing I thought of, like, I'll watch it if it ever comes out. It's yeah. going to be long. But honestly, I want the album more than anything. I want the yeah. live recording of, it doesn't have to be every song, but, like, all the hits from yeah. those artists, like, I would God, buy that, that version of my girl. Oh yeah. gosh. I mean, jeez. Oh yeah. David Ruffin is showing up in like a pink frilly shirt with a bow tie. He looks so cool. He's <laughs> this is like August or July sometime. This is a hot summer. He's out there in a two-piece suit with a fur collar and fur ruffs. And I'm just like, you must be sweating. Yeah. But this is also another interesting. Link in the film, Questlove, through his interviews and through the footage, shows that there was a transitional period. There was something happening where you had sort of the old school performers, the Motown guys or the BB Kings, the guys who showed up, they look professional, you know, or even the gospel people, you know, everybody's wearing a mm -hmm. uniform, everybody's got matching clothing, they've got choreographed movements, they look good, they look sharp, even if it's way too hot for what they're wearing. And then you got guys like the Chambers Brothers or Sly and the Family yeah. Stone coming out wearing whatever the fuck they want because, you know, they've kind of found that intersection between, like, the hippie subculture and black power and have kind of melded it into this own thing. And 
it's kind of what's beautiful because there's a sense of this handing off from one generation to the other that the standards, the cultural ideals are changing. If you cut into the audience, you will see people wearing, you know, like their nice going out evening clothes or like a suit or just some very, you know, ordinary kind of clothing. But then standing next to them is someone wearing a daishiki (laughs) or some kind of elaborate head scarf or just some kind of hippie garb, whether it's a sombrero and a poncho or a leather vest without a shirt. So it's really interesting. Not only do you see the African-American community having that conversation amongst themselves culturally, but stylistically as well. The visuals on this kind of tell their own story. That just really symbolizes how much of a moment in history it was for that community. Considering what preceded it, too. Mm. I I mean, the 60s, any time in history is a terrible time to live, but... (laughs) <laughs> 60s America yeah. being black, Vietnam War going on, civil rights movement, like, it wasn't great. And to see something so beautiful happen to a people that you know have it rough, at least I know they had it rough, still have it rough, the biggest problem we have in general, or just getting along with other people, is not putting yourself in their shoes. And it's such a simple thing that I feel personally can be done. I don't see how you could watch this and have issues with, you know, like, Black Panthers being there as security because the cops didn't Mm want to do it. Nina Simone, who is a huge outspoken activist, like, that could have stirred up some controversy, but I don't know, man. It just, 20-year-old me would have killed to go to Woodstock, hands down. 37-year-old me, 37 on the 4th of July, I would kill to go to this concert. I'd much rather go to this concert because I've already seen Woodstock. I've already experienced it vicariously through many other instances but to be here it looked like it was truly something special like you said marco the the mix of the old and the up and coming was amazing you know stevie wonder was still in his prime slime mm-hmm. oh, yeah. stone nina Gladys Knight. i mean yeah geez. the fifth dimensions appearance was really great and what it meant for them to play for that crowd when they felt they'd never really been accepted by that crowd and to show that they were there, that they were a part of that crowd, that they were a part of that uh, that culture. I found that really touching. I found the whole thing, I mean, the level of pride in all the artists, in the attendees, and watch, I mean, the, the crowd shots are so involving because you see them just, you know, those people, uh, they're all proud of who they are. They're all proud of, they're all proud of the community that, that they're from, who they represent, what they represent. And that celebratory feeling of that was just that was so palpable, yeah, all the way through. That's one of the many themes that uh, Questlove and his collaborators are interweaving throughout the footage. Not only the old and the new, we've already had the civil rights uh, era has been just erupted into violence. There have been riots all over the country. Many prominent political figures have been assassinated. There's a sense that, you know, it's hot. People's nerves are on edge. Uh, they need something positive to kind of bring the community together to kind of keep everybody calm. And the idea of like doing a celebration that isn't just some happy like, hey, you know, everybody relax. You've got black activists on stage. They're reading poetry. They're reading, making speeches. You have people preaching gospel. You have the uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson and his group, you know, promoting various social causes. The Black Panthers are in the mix. You've got the mayor of New York coming in, trying to make a show of how, you know, he supports the black community. It it is a political event as well as a cultural event. When you think about Woodstock, you tend to think about the mud and the chaos and, you know, everything that went wrong. We don't really see that element here. 
I'm sure there were problems behind the scenes. It was a difficult show mm-hmm. to produce. There were a lot of people. There weren't a lot the of The logistics money. of it, probably, yeah. The logistics were difficult. This really, kind of what Chad was saying, you're right, they could cut this as a concert film. There have been documentaries about Woodstock, the movie, and the the concert. This could easily be a concert film and a documentary about the concert film. Hell, I wanted a documentary on the making of this documentary <laughs> because Questlove is perhaps being a little modest. He does occasionally appear as a voice off screen mm-hmm. talking to his interview subjects. But I would love to know how he got involved. What was his reaction when he discovered this? How did they restore this footage? Because they obviously needed to do some work. It's all on video, but the quality of the sound and the and the uh, video is quite good at times, even though you occasionally see some artifacts that uh, signal how old the footage really is. It's amazing it looks this good, especially considering they had to shoot it during the day. They didn't have any artificial lights. They didn't have money for lights, which I love the that DP, one detail. Yeah. The DP's like, hey, face the stage towards the sun. <laughs> yeah. Because otherwise we're not going to see it. Yeah. Like, you, it's crazy. You have to build the set. You have to build the stage facing west because we have to take advantage of the sunlight. Because once it's dark, it. ain't going to yeah. see nothing. So it's the hottest part during the day, and you are purely relying on sunlight. This should look terrible. And yet it doesn't. It's a testament to how good that film crew mm-hmm. was. That they got as much exciting dynamic footage. Of course, it's been trimmed and cut. I mean, there's probably terrible footage. And Questlove's like, no, we can't show that. That looks awful. You can't even hear it. You can't see anything. But what we have here is really, really high quality. Let's go ahead and roll into our final thoughts because I think everybody deserves to see it without us spoiling much more about it. Chad, go ahead and lead off, please. I don't really call myself a musician, but I grew up playing instruments, saxophone, bass, guitar. I was in bands. Before filmmaking, music was my first love. So to see a movie like this, you should see me in my garage. Like, I was sitting out of the garage, it's hot out, I got my headphones on, and I'm just jamming in my own little world. Closest thing I could have to being actually there, the way this movie is set up. Because like you said, Marco, normally in documentaries, they'll, they'll play the first third of the song, and then they'll fade out, and then we talk to the next person. But I mean, we talk to a lot of people, but we really don't hear them a lot. We hear their, like, really good points. But then we hear the music and the moment and the the moments between the moments. And that's what really did this for me. I really like this movie. I'm going to give it 9.5 drumsticks out of 10. So I've only been doing this for a little bit with you guys. This is definitely my favorite movie so far. Like, this is definitely right up my alley. Well, just stick around. You'll be disappointed real soon. <laughs> oh, well, I did watch The Future uh, Tomorrow War or whatever the heck that was. That we, was- we don't get 9.5 movies very often, so it's, <laughs> enjoy Justin, it while you can. Justin messaged me went last night when he was watching. He was like, oh, boy. I think I'm going to be the one that doesn't like this movie. Oh. And I'm like, oh, well, from what I've, from what I heard, well, you're not going to be the only one that didn't like it. So don't worry, Justin. But <laughs> you're, you're talking about the Forever War, right? The Tomorrow War. Uh, the one with Chris Pratt. Or the Tomorrow War. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't always agree with Justin, but if he told me Summer of Soul was bad, I, I'm going to have to hunt him <laughs> down. It's, it's like, dude, come on. <laughs> Frank, give us your final thoughts, please. You know, I really, um, I got sent a Blu-ray to review called FTA, which was from Kino, and it was a, um, a rest- restoration of um, this traveling road show that Jane Fonda and Donald Sutherland did at the height of the Vietnam War, which played for exactly one week in theaters until Nixon said, oh, I want that gone. 
get rid of that and he got rid of that and it was recently unearthed i guess where i'm going with this is that there's just so much history in that era i don't know why it's being unearthed now but i'm so glad it's being unearthed and this is like another example in both cases i just couldn't believe that for for an era that had so much within it like it's almost like how did i not know about this just practical reasons why we didn't know but it's still astounding to me but um in any case these films and especially summer of soul um is here now I mean, it's powerful. It's magical. It's intense. It's the moments with the interviewees, the moments with the performers singing, um, the crowd. I love watching the crowd scenes. I just couldn't get over it. like just watching them just, you know, embrace everything that was happening. And there's that one line that one of the attendees says at the very end, something to the effect of, um, you know, we didn't know until we were leaving what this meant, how much of a of an important moment this was. Um, and how things changed for us, for me specifically, during this concert. You you do feel that sort of gravity in that way when you're watching this. This is such a soulful um, and important film. And I really hope that people watch it. Uh, this is already taking home some festival prizes. I'm going to vote for this at the end of the year. Uh, this is just magical in every possible way and i've run out of adjectives so i am just gonna give this nine out of ten listens to uh my baby just cares for me by nina simone because my favorite uh, nina simone song my baby just cares for me (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean to iterate what you guys said this is a significant cultural moment it had almost been forgotten by everyone except for the people who actually were there So it's kind of great to see it shared with the world the way it should have been 50 years ago. The fact that, you know, people like Frank was saying, uh, had an amazing, uh, emotional, social, political change just from attending that. It's a shame that more people could not have had that same experience the way they did with, say, Woodstock. You could live somewhere in another part of the world and you could at least still experience it on the screen. But here you finally get a chance to see it. Hopefully we'll get more footage and uh, maybe even a soundtrack from this one day. It is almost two hours long. I do think at times DJ Questlove, he is a first-time documentary filmmaker. I don't know that he always has a specific narrative in mind, but he's trying to cover a lot of bases, and there's a lot of material here. It does sometimes drag ever so slightly. As I said before, he does cover... A lot of footage. He lets those performances run really long sometimes. And he has a lot of great guest stars. While it's nice to hear from someone like Chris Rock or Lin-Manuel Miranda, I would much rather listen to the people who were there. The, The interviews are at their best when they're talking with either the performers, the event organizers, or the attendees themselves. And they really are the best reason to watch the movie. When you watch those people talking about this moment that happened when they were young. They had always remembered, but no one else could kind of share that experience with them because so few other people had ever even heard of it. That's what really makes this movie sing to me. And the sense of, not closure, but I think validation they must get watching this on a big screen and letting the rest of the world know what they themselves are known for over 50 years. This is the same month we also got Edgar Wright's The Sparks Brothers, a documentary about a band uh, of brothers, two brothers uh, who've been around for 50 years. So it's a really good month for 50-year-old musical events. I'm glad that we got two great documentaries out of it. 
This one is definitely of more cultural importance. Certainly, it is worth watching on a big screen if you can. I know it's coming to Hulu relatively soon. But however you can see it, I highly recommend it. If you love music, if you love black culture, if you like American history, if you like music history, if you like concert films or documentaries, this has something that's going to check off a lot of your boxes. This is definitely going to be on the uh, end of the year best of list when they start talking about documentaries. You can bet on that. I'm going to give this nine and a half out of ten times. I wish Nina Simone would have just leaned over to the microphone and said, Mississippi, goddamn. <laughs> she would have, too. I mean, who knows? We haven't yeah. seen all the footage. Maybe she sang it. I haven't seen a set list. Maybe she did. Yeah. You know, maybe they cut it out. <laughs> Hashtag release the Simone cut. 